Welcome to the Asymptote Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring world literature in translation. I'm Steve Lehman, and this season I'll be bringing you interviews, poetry readings, and reports from the latest issue of our online journal. Check out the fall 2020 issue at asymptotejournal.com for incredible fiction, poetry, drama, and more. This episode coincides with the 40th issue of Asymptote, released this October, with new work from 32 countries. My guest today is Michelle Hutchison, curator of this issue's special feature on Dutch literature. Michelle is the translator of more than 40 books from Dutch into English, and one from French, winner of the 2019 Vondel Translation Prize, co-author of The Happiest Kids in the World, What We Can Learn from Dutch Parents, and, most recently, co-winner of the International Booker Prize for her English translation of the Dutch novel The Discomfort of Evening by America Lucas Reneveld. Stick around to the end of the show to hear a poem by Mustafa Stitu, one of the poets featured in this issue of Asymptote. Mustafa will read first in the original Dutch, followed by a reading in English by the translator David Colmer. But first, here's my conversation with Michelle Hutchison. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Michelle. Uh, welcome to the Asymptote podcast, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Steve. In a moment, I'd like to ask you about the Booker International Prize and this issue of Asymptote's special feature on Dutch literature. But first, you mentioned in a previous interview that you've always loved literature and language. What led you to learn Dutch specifically? It was really just that I ended up living here. I've always liked Amsterdam, but I never thought I'd live here one day. Um, and I and I have two Dutch kids, so I ended up living here. And then, obviously, I had to learn the language. I mean, I was uh, 30 or something when I came. And um, I went to evening classes to learn it because, uh, yeah, if you've been here, you'll know that everyone speaks really good English. So it's really hard to learn the language because they just switch into Dutch as soon as they hear like the slightest accent. Um, so I had to go to classes to learn it. I couldn't just learn it from trying to speak it to people. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I know so many Dutch people speak English. It seems like there's less motivation for English speakers to learn Dutch. Right. I mean, you can live here perfectly easily. You can live and work and do everything here without speaking a word of Dutch. And, and I do uh, frequently come across English people, uh, English speakers who are in that position. In late August, you co-won the Booker International Prize with the Dutch author Merike Lucas Renneveld for your translation of their novel, The Discomfort of Evening. How has the response to your work changed since the announcement? Have other aspects of your life changed? There have been a lot of interviews and press. Um, I mean, straight after the announcement was made, we were on the phone to the Dutch press. I mean, there was a huge response here. It was a bit like um, Holland winning the uh, Eurovision, Marika Lucas said, there was, so, there was so much kind of jubilation that a Dutch book had won. So, yeah, the phone started ringing then and, and didn't stop for a week or so. Um, and now I've been doing more kind of interviews with like England um, and this one for Asymptota um, in, about Dutch literature in general. One of the translators featured in this issue of Asymptote, Hester Velmans, commented in their translator's note that translating one culture into another adds another level of difficulty beyond just translating the words themselves. What was that like for translating The Discomfort of Evening, um, where it seems like the culture of rural Dutch dairy farming is so integral to the language of the novel? 
Yeah, I mean, that's one of the joys of the novel too, isn't it? That it, that it really takes you to, to the farm that it's set on. Um, and it's very evocative of, of kind of Dutch country life in the, in the Bible Belt here. It's not so different from Lincolnshire, which is a part of England uh, that's very flat and was uh, partly drained by the Dutch. Um, and that's where I spent a lot of my childhood. So um, I, c- I could identify with, with many of the things uh, in the novel. Perhaps that helped with the translation. So I don't know. I, I guess if you, if you, as a translator, you didn't have any experience of like cows and farming, it would be harder. But still, it still has to speak to readers without that kind of background. So, yeah, I don't know. How did you find it? I loved it. I loved that this was a culture and a region that I knew nothing about. But the novel really opened that culture up for me to experience and to learn about. Um, so I appreciated that about reading it. I think especially, like, you just use the word Bible Belt. And that, that struck me as interesting in itself because, like, you know, I'm from the United States, and the United States has its own Bible Belt. And the people are different, the culture is different, but also there's there's so many similarities. And you can see that, uh, as an American reader, I can see that in, in The Discomfort of Evening. Yeah, that's that's definitely, um, there's definitely more of an overlap with the American Bible Belt culture than with kind of English um, Protestant life, I think. Yeah, and I actually had a... A fellow translator check those aspects for me, um, Sam Garrett, who had that kind of American background. And so he checked the translation for me to make sure I hadn't made any uh, slip ups there. As well as asking other people to look over it. Did you have to do further research on Dutch uh, Protestantism and, and the dairy farming culture? Or was it similar enough to your English upbringing? Um, I think you, you can't assume that something's the same. So you, uh, even if you think it might be you have to research it I think yeah translators are generally very thorough and even research things they think they know because it could be like a trap well at least that's how I think about it do you have any strategies for avoiding traps like that like check everything like I'm completely paranoid I, I I check everything this one I spent hours on like dairy farming sites looking at different kinds of um uh grids that that cows could lie on or not and that kind of thing um yeah <laughs> look at I look at lots of pictures as well um so i'll look at a picture of the of the of a dutch cattle farm and then i'll compare it with a picture of an english cattle farm and, and look at the structures and, and check that the same kind of thing is happening with the the way the manure is being like channeled away and that kind of stuff um so that reminds me that Another translator for this uh, issue named Laura Spencer, who translated a short story in this feature called A Seller's Market by Joost Ries. She writes about the challenge of translating, quote, untranslatable cultural elements, unquote. Can you think of any examples of untranslatable elements in The Discomfort of Evening that were particularly difficult? Oh, sure. Yeah, there were plenty. There's um, even the whole Dutch Christmas celebrations yeah, we have Sinterklaas here, and and he, ha- he and his helpers like go along the roofs, uh, going down the chimney to deliver presents. But it's not just on one night; it's a whole series of nights. And there's a children's uh, news program. It's like fake news. It's it's fake news about Sinterklaas and his helpers arriving, and a weather forecast. So how slippery the roofs will be. I couldn't explain that without writing a whole kind of extra page of awkward kind of insertions so um, some of that had to be kind of smoothed over or or kind of skimmed around. You curated the special feature on Dutch literature for this issue of Asymptote. 
with pieces that range in theme from Dutch architecture to relationships ending to racial discrimination in the Netherlands. Can you talk about your process for choosing these stories and poems? I was really, really excited to be able to put together this issue of Asymptote because I could like finally choose the things that really spoke to me and the things, the writers that I've encountered over the last few years that I think really deserve uh, an English or a wider audience in English or in other languages. So I, I um, obviously I read a lot as part of my normal um, daily work. So I, I knew a lot of these writers. Um, one of them I didn't. Shinan Chankaya was a, was a new writer to me. This is his first book published here. And so I was really thrilled to read that just as I was putting together the issue. And, and I thought, gosh, I've got to put in an extract of this too. This is absolutely amazing. I was looking for quality and I was looking for quality and kind of new writers that I could introduce people to and also excellent translations. None of this was going to work without really good translations to carry off the pieces. You mentioned that that you've read all these authors um, in Dutch. What is their reception like in the Netherlands? Are they are they big names in Dutch literature? I, I think a lot of them are seen as kind of yeah new talent that's becoming established after maybe you know two two or three books. They're at that kind of stage in their career. Most of them are in their thirties, so most of them are. Uh, have got some kind of following here already and, and certainly critical acclaim, if, if not prizes. Uh, Radna Fabius has, has won an awful lot of prizes with her poetry collection, which I included an extract of. So you won the Booker International Prize while curating this special feature, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Did winning the prize change um, how you selected the pieces or, or change your process for curating? No, I mean, it's not like... Me having won a prize made Dutch literature suddenly get better. Maybe <laughs> it increased the audience for it or the appeal. Um, people might be more inclined to actually actually like read this issue because of the book. That's what I'm hoping. Um, but I'd already basically made my selection and I was waiting for the open call to come in, I think. That was about then. So we had an open call and that through that, the uh, Joost de Vries piece translated by Laura Spencer was selected. In your opinion, where do the eight authors and poets in this feature fit into the larger picture of Dutch literature today? I definitely try to represent the, the range. So where, where are the good writers coming from? You can see then they weren't all born in the Netherlands. They were right in Dutch, but they could have been born somewhere else and have moved to the Netherlands. And I, I tried to cover the themes that people are writing about, whether that's relationships, buying your first house or identity or uh, sickness. I mean, that's another one, the Ritzke Versteich piece is about the impact uh, of trauma, post-traumatic stress after after abuse, which is kind of really hard hitting. But yeah, the, the body is definitely a theme in um, Dutch literature at the moment, I think. I wanted to ask you about Ritzke Versteich's piece, uh, as well as another contributor to this issue, Sinan Chankaya. Their two memoir excerpts that are featured in this issue really struck me. Sinan Chankaya writes about racial profiling in the Dutch police force, and Viska Versteg writes about dealing with the trauma of sexual assault. Your own Booker Prize winning translation of The Discomfort of Evening is also centered on a traumatic event that happens early on in the book. I was wondering how do you go about translating such an intimate and personal subject like trauma? When I was doing... Um... The discomfort of evening, I would, uh, I, I mean, I did kind of 
find it harrowing. I found it harrowing to translate the parts of the books that are very upsetting sometimes. And I and I would do them in the morning, not later on in the day. In the day, I mean, I think you just have to find a way. You have to find a way by focusing on the language, focusing on on the poetry in the language in that case. And I think you'll see that that yeah, David Doherty tried to do the same with Fiske for Steich. Uh, there's a little translator's note that accompanies the piece. In fact, all the translator's notes are really interesting with this issue. So I, could, I would like to direct readers to have a look at those as well as, as, well as the main text. Yeah, I love reading the translator's notes. Um, yeah. That's one of my favorite parts. They're so interesting just to get that insight into the translator's minds. David Doherty had an interesting one about translating Visca Versteg's memoir excerpt called Vanishing Point. Uh, And he writes, when a work is so deeply personal, your first instinct is to leave well enough alone, to translate the words as they are. But the faltering connection between languages, even two languages as closely related as Dutch and English, necessitates some kind of intervention. Is that how it feels for you when when you're translating something as, as personal as trauma, like in the discomfort of evening? You have to make it work in English. You know, that's why he says sometimes you have to uh, go for the effect. How do you cre- recreate the same effect? I think actually punctuation and rhythm is a part in that in a kind of weird way, uh, as well as choice of words. Yeah, it's difficult. What, what he writes also is that the Dutch tend to see things in a spatial way. Um, and that's really hard to explain, but there's a lot of metaphors of, of space and geometry and distances um, within the language. And that's something we all have to like work with, um, how to make it sound natural and, and yet keep the same thought process intact. When translating The Discomfort of Evening, you mentioned that you, you tried to mostly do it in the morning and not in the evening. Did it have an effect on your mind when you were translating something as heavy as this novel? Because it's an intense novel. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I, I was really uh, kind of mentally exhausted after it. When you when you're so close to a text, it kind of becomes part of you as well, because you're kind of living in the book while you're translating it. The good thing was, right after that, I had a non-fiction book to translate about seaweed. It's called the Seaweed Collector's <laughs> Handbook. It, it's so beautiful and lovely. And it, and it was kind of a way of um, overcoming the trauma of translating the discomfort of evening. <laughs> it's like a palate cleanser. Right, exactly. Um, just like gen- gentle, calming seaweed kind of flowing all around me. Um, and I, I went to Scotland, I went to the Isle of Mull to uh, go through the text with the author, Meek Swanborn. So um, I even got to kind of go and swim with the seaweed. So I, I returned kind of <laughs> renewed and, and <laughs> repaired and, and ready to start again. Uh, earlier, you said that Sinan Chankaya's work was unknown to you, that, that he was a new author to you. How did you come across his memoir? Yeah, it came out and I saw him interviewed and he gave a really interesting interview. Um, and then it, it I mean, it's, it was a bestseller. It, it did really well here. That was earlier this year. So, I mean, it's still a really kind of new phenomenon, but also very timely. You know, people are starting to look to hear kind of voices about discrimination. Um following the, the Black Lives Matter movement and that kind of thing. Do you feel like these issues um, like racial discrimination um, and trauma are being discussed more publicly now in the Netherlands than in the past? I think I think the Dutch have always been 
fairly open and, and discuss more things that might be taboo, especially compared to America. But there's a, been a kind of an awareness that despite being a really open, uh, open-minded country, that there, there is discrimination nevertheless, and there, there is trauma. And um, also the Me Too thing was, was big here as well. So beneath that kind of liberal, egalitarian country, there's, there's still, there are still issues that need to be addressed. And that, that's why I wanted to include this piece about the police force here from uh, Tankaya's book, because it so beautifully illustrates that, yeah, <laughs> how people unintentionally um, are biased. Um, so I'd like to ask you about the poets now. In the past, you've yeah. talked about how much you love poetry. And in your editor's note for this feature, you mentioned that the two poets, Radna Fabias and Mustafa Stitu, are just a couple of great examples of what Dutch poetry has to offer the world. Can you tell me more about why you like these poets and these poems specifically? Yeah. So I, a few years ago, I did a Brockway translation workshop with uh, Mustafa Stitu. There were four or five of us translators and, and the poet himself. And I, through translating some of his work in a group, I, I came to uh, see the, the talent he has as a poet and the, the, the deceptively simple way he, he has of, of saying really intriguing things. For example, the line... There is no escaping death, not even the stomach of a dead horse. <laughs> and then that's one of the poems in, in the issue, just trying to get, get to the bottom of what, what, what does he mean by that? That's really interesting. He's, he's had, a, I think, maybe four or five collections out in Dutch, and his first English collection uh, is a compilation of those. It's going to be published, I think, in November, so it will soon be really available. It's called Two Half Faces. And Radno Fabius is a poet who's, who's had one collection published, uh, Habitus. It's a collection that is about the, the Dutch Antilles, about Curaçao, where, she, where she's from. But it's also about the Netherlands. It's about those two sides of her, uh, of her life, her background. She tries to bring to life the voices, that's what it is. It's the voices of, of the people that she's encountered back home in Curaçao, where she comes from, and here, her new home in the Netherlands. And, and she does that in such a, an amazing, such an amazing way. Who are some other Dutch poets we should be looking out for? There's a lot of discussion now out there about Dutch authors, Dutch literature in general, um, but I haven't seen much about other Dutch poets um, coming out in English. Right. I mean, not much poetry is translated. I mean, there, there, isn't, a, there isn't a big market for poetry, let alone translated poetry. And, and they say mostly poets read poetry. So... Yeah, it's a kind of uh, yeah, <laughs> very small circle of people reading each other. So Meek Swanborn is the author of the seaweed book I mentioned earlier. She's also a poet, and I and I think her nature poetry is absolutely fantastic. And I've been translating that as she writes it, so it isn't even published in Dutch yet. But hopefully some of that will be um, available in an English poetry magazine. I've got it on submission, basically. And, and Marika Lucas Reinefeld is, is primarily known as a poet before before they became a novelist. We've talked about the poetry and the memoir excerpts a bit. Do you have any highlights from the fiction pieces that you'd like to bring up for any readers who haven't read them yet? I think there's a nice sense of the Dutch absurd, the sense of the absurd that uh, people might recognize if they've read Hermann Koch. And that, and that comes across, for example, at the beginning of uh, Staying Isolde, which is by Nina Pollack translated by Emma Rolt, and it starts, 
the end of our open relationship is marked by two plastic lobsters, which I think is really nice. <laughs> the symbolism of, of the lobsters and the, and the kind of light humor in that. I think that's really typically Dutch. Yeah, a lot of these stories, especially the fiction, have like a subtle dry humor. Exactly. Like. Yeah, you, you see that in, in the Nina Reyes, which is an extract from a, from a novel that hasn't been translated yet into English. Um, but that has the same kind of right take on things. Um, again, relationships. I thought that went quite well with the with the Nina Polak piece. I also loved speaking of Stangy Solda by Nina Polak. This is a very small detail, but she writes uh, in the beginning of the story. I find the lobster couple in a shop on a dead end canal. And to me, an American reader, I just really love that imagery because that's not a thing that we have, <laughs> really. Um, the image of a dead end canal is just very romantic. That's true. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of there are Dutch settings in the pieces. I, I was trying to find pieces that had something of the Netherlands in them in the in the descriptions, so that you could kind of feel that you were taking a trip there as as you read through the issue. What excites you the most about Dutch literature right now? I think the the range of new voices that there are a lot of there are a lot of women. There are a lot of really great female writers. So I was like, like Nina Reyes, I think she's fantastic. Witske uh, Versteeg is also a brilliant writer. She writes fiction and nonfiction. And Nina Pollack. So, you know, I, I, was, I was able to kind of show the range of, of that. And I always get excited about poetry, whether it's Dutch or from other cultures. But um, there's a really big poetry scene here. So uh, there's a lot of poetry around. It's kind of everywhere, festivals and in the newspaper and so there's a lot, I think there's probably more poets here because because of that. Now that you've won the Booker International Prize, you have a much bigger platform to to kind of show Dutch literature to the world. Do you have any pl- immediate plans to try to reveal more Dutch literature to the English speaking world? Um, this is my plan. This this issue. <laughs> this is my current plan. Is that, is that, you know, I'm going to really promote the hell out of this and try and get as many people to read it as possible. What I'd really like to happen is is publishers to pick up the uh, Sinan Chankaya book and the Vizca Versteeg and the Nina Reyes. So that these are extracts of books that haven't been sold yet to English language publishers. Um, that would be a fantastic result if that happens. And then maybe at some point in the future, I'll, I'll get to create something else and you know I jump at the chance the final uh, question I have for you is more open-ended is there anything else you'd like to add that you didn't get a chance to mention so far I think the last thing I'd like to add is is to talk about the excellent translators working from Dutch into English that I think I think that's a there's a unique translation scene here we're really encouraged and also trained by the Dutch Foundation for Literature and the Expertise Centre on the which is part of Utrecht University, which trains translators or helps them to further their their career if, if you know they already have some kind of qualification. So because there's this kind of whole backup for us here, um, because we're a kind of quite tight knit community, I think I think we all learn a lot from each other. I mean, they're just some fantastic translators working. That's what I wanted to say. Michelle, thank you. Uh, thank you so much again for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. Okay, thanks so much. And now, here's Mustafa Stitu reading his poem, 
graduation project in the original Dutch, followed right after by a reading in English by the translator David Colmer. This poem and many other great works in translation are featured in the fall 2020 issue of Asymptote. You can check it out at asymptotejournal.com. Thanks for listening. Afstudeerproject. Ze heeft eigenlijk geen zin vannacht. Mijn Joodse verloofde wendt zich van mij af, abrupt knipt het licht aan. In de lichtvlek rond het matras, tussen onze afgetrapte kleren, slingeren verhalen van Primo Levi, Schwartz imagining the Holocaust en spreektrali van Ceylon. Natuurlijk, niet altijd hebben beiden zin. Bovendien, de as van onze liefde is onze liefde voor het conceptuele, voor God de klokkenmakers spelen. De aap komt uit de mouw. Het gaat niet goed met het afstudeerproject. Mijn verloofde zit vast. Ik breng haar tot bedaren. Vertel haar van een gedicht dat ik geschreven heb, openbaringen, anekdoten, en dat ze misschien het onzegbare met het banale, het onverenigbare. In een vlaag raap ik spreektrali op, zoek dodenfuga en mijn ogen haken zich aan de slotregels vast. Je goudblonde haar, Margarethe. Je asgrauwe haar, Sulamit. Goudblond, asgrauw, goudblonde, asgrauwe pruiken, waarom doe je daar niet iets mee? Ze zwijgt, pijnst, en in dit zwijgen neig ik mijn mond naar de haren, maar ze schiet weg, alsof ze zich iets herinnert, een inval, weg is ze naar haar ateliertje, zonder een woord. In het holst van de nacht komt de aap uit de mouw. Ik knip het licht uit, gekrenkt, op mijn ziel getrapt. Naar haar vlees kan ik fluiten. Graduation project. She's not really in the mood tonight, my Jewish fiancé. Abruptly turning her back, flicking on the light. In the bright patch around the mattress, half buried under the clothes we kicked off, Primo Levi's short stories, Schwartz's Imagining the Holocaust, Celan's poems. Of course, you can't both be in the mood all the time. And what's more, the focus of our love has always been our love of the conceptual, of playing God the clockmaker. The truth comes out. It's not going well with her graduation project. My fiancé is stuck. I calm her down, telling her about a poem I've written, Revelations Anecdotes, and that maybe, by combining the unsayable with the banal, the irreconcilable. In a flurry, I pick up the salon, look up deaf fugue, my eyes boring into the final lines. Your golden hair, Margareta, your ashen hair, Shulamit. Golden, ashen, golden.
gold and ashen wigs. Why not do something with that? She's silent, thoughtful, and in this silence I bend my mouth toward hers, but off she shoots, as if remembering something, a bright idea, off to her studio without a word. In the dead of night, the truth comes out. I switch off the light, wounded, cut to the quick. I can kiss her body goodbye. The Asymptote Podcast is produced by me, with music by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks again to Michelle Hutchison for the great conversation, and to Mustafa Stitu and David Colmer for their poetry contributions. Special thanks as well to Katya Olsen-Shipyatsky, Fiona Bell, and Nikki Rhodes for their help with this episode. Until next time, I'm Steve Lehman, and this was the Asymptote Podcast.